ways are above our ways. So, Father, by faith, we say, let all of your ways be done in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I'm going to carry on my message from two Sundays back before Easter on God's kingdom manifested, part two. Today I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit baptism. And I wanted to say this, Easter is the celebration, obviously, of Jesus raising from the dead. How many people recognize he's the only one that has ever raised from the dead of all the Buddhas, the Confucius, all of those. Jesus is the only one whose tomb is empty. Thank God, because he defeated death just as he said he would do. Jesus won the ultimate victory. The Bible says that when he came back from the dead, he actually spent 40 days. So we're in at this time from Easter until Pentecost. That's a 50-day period where for 40 days, Jesus actually walked with his disciples and with people and revealed himself. It's crazy things actually happened. It says that the bones in the graveyard, people came back from the dead when Jesus came back from the dead. And they were actually up walking around the streets of Jerusalem. So it was like you ran into your old great, great uncle, like, bro, you died like 20 years ago. Well, when Jesus rose, I took the train out too, buddy. It was wild. So it was like a, it was a, a very heightened, crazy time. And that's, of course, where Thomas was like, well, I, don't, I won't believe until I, you know, I see the wounds and put my hands in them. And he did. And there was Jesus in the flesh, restored, living, and spent 40 days. This wasn't just to prove resurrection. It was actually because the full gospel message, what Jesus came to do, didn't stop at salvation. The full plan of God was ultimate redemption until he produced, as, as Jesus from his own mouth said, a seed falls in the ground to bear forth much. Once it dies, then it bears forth many more sons and daughters, basically, that, that the full gospel is that Jesus came to give instruction to his, belief, his, his followers. Now you're going to go and you're going to get something else. Say something else. That something else was and is the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, the one that hovered over the deep in the beginning. He's been there the whole time. When Jesus was baptized, for those people that are like, God's not three in one. Well, when Jesus was baptized, the Bible tells us that the Father spoke from above. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was on the earth being baptized, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. doesn't mean he was a dove, but like a dove. Amen. And he came. So all three of the Godhead were functioning through Jesus. And Jesus said, I obeyed the Father. I did only what the Father told me to do and followed him at all times. And it was the Spirit that empowered Christ to do it. Because Christ, being the Son of God, being in the flesh, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days did not yield to the devil, and the Bible says after that he returned in the power of the Spirit. Come on, somebody. So Christ needed the baptism or the help of the Holy Spirit, so why would we in our arrogance or pride ever say we don't need it? You need, if Jesus needed it, you needed it times ten, bro. Times a billion. Let's be honest here. If Jesus got it, get it. Are you with me right now? See, I'm like, no, it's, um, we're Jesus only. Well, Jesus was never Jesus only. Jesus was combined. He had the Father backing him, and he had the Spirit anointing him. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power. The Godhead who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. It's the Holy Ghost. Somebody says, is it the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit? It's, both are found in Scripture. Pentecostals like ghosts because it sounds a little more, ah. Charismatics like spirit because it sounds a little more sophisticated. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Now I want to talk scripturally about it today as best as I can. Acts chapter 2, if you would turn there. I got a lot to go through, so it's probably going to be a, a two-part of this series, this sermon, but we're going to have fun. We'll be out of here by, by 12.30ish to go eat and feast and, and baptize and kick footballs and pull our hammies and stuff like that. Everybody stretch before you do the football kick, just a warning. Did it at Easter, I mean at, at Hallelujah night, and I would say stretching would be in order. 
Although we will, be, we will have a bottle of oil to lay hands on those. When the day of Pentecost, this is Acts chapter 2, was fully come, and they were all with one in cord and in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. He filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled, shout filled, with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay? Now I'm going to drop down. Let me find where I want to drop down to. Verse 17. Peter's addressing the crowd concerning what happened, okay? Because it was noised abroad. They were, they were like drunken men. People were hearing them in their own language. There was people of every tribe and tongue around, and they heard them saying and glorifying God in their own language. It was a sign and a wonder. 3,000 people were saved that day, or, or, I believe. And, and Peter addresses what happens, and he says, this is what the prophet Joel said would happen. That it shall come to pass in the last days. Who believes we're in the last days? Yeah. All right, so this is talking about right now then. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters. Sons and your daughters. For all those smoking that weird pipe that women can't do anything in ministry, you haven't read your Bible. Anyways, I'm not trying to raise that stuff, but... People get on these weird tantrums, and he's like, just read the Bible. I promise you, if you read the Bible, you'll know the truth. The, the Bible is the Word of God, and it's truth. It says, your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidings, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Okay. Then it says, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. So signs and wonders come from the pouring out of God's Spirit. Now, at the, at the day the Holy Spirit is given to the church, this is Pentecost, in 50 days, or, or, or May 28th, we'll be at the hill celebrating that, and the Lord has instructed me that that particular day we're going to flow, and we're going we're gonna to pray for miracles, signs and wonders. We're going to conduct that service like we would a mass crusade in Africa. It's going to be a glorious time. We're going to have, I'm going to have people, I'm going to have intercessors fasting all week with me. We're going to be fasting. And God's going to do miracles in the city building of Claremont to show forth His glory. Because God is King of Claremont. If you believe it, shout Amen. It's going to happen. So it'll be an awesome time. Now, when the Holy Spirit was given, it's interesting that it goes to this detail to say that no one is limited. God doesn't say only the old and mature can get the Holy Ghost. He actually says specifically, you're young. The young kids. The older people. The male and the female. Notice how there's only two genders. So if you identify as another gender, you are not specifically said that you're going to get anything. So I would find one of these genders to identify as. So that I could be included in the plan of God. Amen. I'm, apparently I'm stirring things up this morning. But it's really not even stirring, bro. Anybody with common sense knows, like, no, there's two. There's always been two. There will always be two. And we all know which one we are. Pretty, pretty positive. <laughs> when a puppy's born, you can look at the puppy and say, is it a male or a female? It's pretty obvious. Now, many times we judge a person, when the, especially, and I'm talking to us Pentecostal charismatic people, that we judge people that are simply not like us, that they must not be yielding to the Holy Spirit like we are. Because if you're a serious, somber person, then your understanding of yielding to the Holy Ghost is always serious and somber. And so you think that maturity in the Spirit is someone that looks like you. Meanwhile, it might be someone carefree like me that's more of a, a crack jokes, lighthearted person. That's where, to me, maturity in the spirit is living lighthearted. But that's because that's what I believe. Now, it doesn't mean that one way is right. It just means God uses us all exactly as we are. For those that are serious, you can seriously talk about the Holy Ghost and it can impact people. For those of you like me that are humorous, crack jokes all the time, Whatever, God, you can still be used by the Holy Ghost. I've literally cracked jokes before that were literally led by the Spirit, that broke things open. So 
In all things, I'm just saying this so that we understand, the Holy Spirit is not a personality. It's not, I'm, 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 I'm really full of the Holy Ghost if I look and act like everybody else that has been full of the Holy Ghost. God will look, it'll look like a little kid dancing on, on, on the stage. It'll look like an, uh, 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 a mama full of fire praying Holy Ghost down. It'll look like a person laughing in the corner. corner. When you yield to the Holy Spirit, it's not just one set personality. We are all revealing the glory of God. We are all created in God's image. In God is all of us. Are you right? Are you with me right now? That's why God deals with me in jokes. When he rebukes me, he does it through a joke. Now, other people, when they rebuke, they're serious. I promise probably for you, when the Lord rebukes you, it's like a, and you're like, for me, I like my way. God will crack a joke, and I'm like, oh, I, oh, I hear you. I hear you, Lord. My bad. God doesn't withhold his spirit because of our personality differences. Don't be so naive as to think there's one way God does something. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, when talking about the gifts, and it starts, it's interesting that it starts that it says, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant about this subject. And really, if you look at the mainstream church of America and you try and pick what they're most ignorant concerning, it's the operations of the Holy Spirit. That that's the thing they don't talk about, they don't draw up, they don't bring up because for whatever reason, so they remain ignorant. And this is the one scripture where Paul is literally saying, this is where I really don't want you to be ignorant concerning this. And I want you to understand that there are many differences of administrations. What is he talking about there? There are many different people that operate completely different, but there is only one Spirit, one Lord, and there's ultimately one manifestation. That is that the Holy Spirit will move in supernatural ways. How it goes about is different for every single one of us. How, how some people prophesy would thus say if the Lord is not how another person prophesies. But it doesn't mean that it's not the Holy Spirit or that the Holy Spirit is pigeonholed into operating in one way. The Holy Spirit operates through young and old, male and female, in many different ways. Are we in agreement with that? All right, so nobody, look around, nobody in this room has ever been ruled out to be used by the Holy Ghost. You can be used by the Holy Ghost. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Come on, somebody. Now Mark 16, verse 15 through 20. This is Jesus speaking before he leaves the earth. And many people know this. We know it. We've taught it many times here in this church. This is very important scripture. As we always say, if a person is about to leave the earth, the last words they're saying are usually very, very intentional words. When you're, when you're on your deathbed, it's not like you're like, I really liked Rocky Road. <laughs> That's not the wisdom you're trying to leave your kids, you know. Draw close. Stay away from Wawa's hot dogs on a roll. <laughs> Unless that's how you're dying and you're like, no, stay away. Death is on the roll. What's that, Dad? Death is on, anyways. Man. Like this is like a really intense message today, too. So I was like, I don't think it's gonna be funny at all. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for Wawa. Meat meat on a stick. Well, in America, we can put anything on a stick. <laughs> Whoever came up with that, anyways. All right, let's go. Mark 16, 15. Now God gives five signs that follow believers. Jesus do, does. He says that they will cast out demons. Come on, somebody. Who realizes that there is a very real spiritual world that is demonically infused with wicked spirits. Those wicked spirits, when you yield to it, and we talked about this, it requires cooperation. You don't just wake up one day, go to church, and suddenly you got a demon. You cooperate it in your mind. With thoughts that open doors. And as you cooperate and you meditate and you open and you do and you yield and you yield and you yield, ultimately you can become completely subjected to a wicked spirit. 
then you need someone with authority to come in and cast that spirit out of you and get you set free. Now, nowhere in Scripture do you ever see where a person had a demon cast out of them and then had to keep coming back to Christ to keep getting the demon removed. If you keep picking up demons, it's not that you need to get delivered alone. You need to renew your mind, stop playing with junk, and stop opening doors and start living a holy life. That's a decision to make, plain and simple. You know, it's like whether the Lord's delivered me, I don't know. When I got punched in the gut years ago in a church service, I felt it was the Holy Ghost. Not at first, but uh, the fruit was there. Maybe I got delivered, but I tell you, I didn't have to get punched in the gut six more times. Once was enough. Amen. So they will cast out demons, and it says they will speak with new tongues. That's just interesting that this is one of the things that Jesus says follows what? Believers. You with me right now? Jesus says, now people say Jesus never spoke with other tongues. He didn't. Not according to scripture. We don't see anywhere where Jesus spoke with other tongues. But we do see in scripture where Jesus said that believers will speak with other tongues. Are you with me? Then he says they'll take up serpents. Praise the Lord. Ushers bring out the snakes. (laughs) Never gets old. Always the visitors are like... We'll see who has faith. I'm picking up the corn snake because it's not poisonous. Amen. No, I ain't picking up any snake. That's my cousin. He can do that all day long. If they drink anything deadly, it won't hurt them. This doesn't mean go drink poison. It means that if something poisonous came into your life and you didn't know it, it will not hurt you. Just like the snake that bit Paul and he shook off, it was a poisonous viper. So then he shook it off and the poison took no effect in in Paul's life whatsoever and it was a sign and a wonder. That's what Jesus is saying. These signs and these wonders will follow those who believe. And so if you're a believer... This is what you have in your life, amen, or should have in your life. Then it says, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, where people say, talk, we're talking about the Holy Ghost today, amen? How many people recognize the Holy Spirit is directly related with the supernatural move of God? Always, always, always. Where the Holy Spirit is, there is supernatural manifestations of the, of the power of God on display. There are signs and wonders, Acts chapter 2. There was like, it was absolute, evident, supernatural things. Now, where people will take this is they'll recognize casting out demons is supernatural. It's a spiritual world. Being protected by poison is supernatural. All of these things are supernatural. And then they'll get to the speak with other tongues and they'll say that, really, because Jesus never spoke with tongues, what he's talking about is it's going to purify your language and you're not going to curse anymore like you once cursed. This is what they teach. And you might have been taught this, and this is why I'm hitting this today. Because what happens when a person gets taught anti-Holy Ghost, now they've got to see through the filter of everything they've been taught, and I've got to tear that down. That's a lie. Why would Christ give four supernatural things and one normal thing? doesn't even make sense. Of course he's talking about a supernatural language, as 1 Corinthians 13 refers to, the language of the tongues of angels. So we're talking about a spiritual language. When God created the earth, did he speak in English? No. England didn't exist. America didn't exist. God didn't say, let there be light. God said, Rabba Calabra Toho, and light came. That's what he said. That's what he said. He wasn't like, what's what's light in Spanish? Somebody help me here. Yeah, la luz, la luz. He didn't speak it in Spanish. Es bueno. Es bueno. Es muy bueno. <laughs> yeah, we teach this, and we're so like naive to even realize, what are we even talking about? History proves the idiocracy of that thought. So what language was he speaking? What language were they speaking where they all understood one another? 
And God had to confuse them because they took that language of power and creation and decided we will build ourselves to heaven and we will, we will basically take over. And God said, no, you ain't doing that, bro. There's one way to the Father and that ain't the way. So it's a language that comes with it. Now, salvation and healing are a joint package. We've been teaching this, and I want to lay this back out again together. I want you to understand this. In the realms of supernatural healing, to receive a healing from God, you don't have to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. You don't have to ever be used in any of the nine gifts of the Spirit. You don't have to ever pray in tongues. You don't have to ever any supernatural thing whatsoever in order for you to be healed. Healing is attached to salvation. They are inseparable in all ways. That it was one completed work by Christ Jesus to purchase for us salvation and healing. Why is healing and salvation a joint package? Because sickness and disease came from what? By sin. So if you're being forgiven sin, the power of sin is being broken off of your life. And from that power is sickness and disease. So that's being eliminated. Shout eliminated. It's taken from the east, is from the west, and it's removed from your life. And you can believe for that. Are you with me? So these are inseparable. Scripture talks about it in Isaiah. Isaiah laid it out, prophesied concerning Christ. I heard this the other day by a preacher, and I did not know this. But when Isaiah prophesied, by his stripes you are healed, that at the time Isaiah prophesied it, no one, stripes were not a form of punishment. So he was speaking beyond the natural realm into a realm to look ahead, not knowing anything about the Roman Empire that would arise, not knowing that they would be those that struck with the cat of nine tails to whip and torture people. But he said, by his stripes, you are healed. Shout healed. That's proof. The Spirit looked ahead. The Spirit knew everything that would happen. And prophesied through Isaiah. And when you read that, it thunders within you. And you realize, man, even if you never pray in tongues, healing is available because you can be saved so you can be healed. Thank God for that. Hallelujah. That's why it doesn't matter if you're Pentecostal charismatic. God heals. God heals in the Catholic church. God heals in the Baptist church. Even in places that try and teach he doesn't heal, still people get healed. Why? Because it's right there, joint package with salvation. It's who, who he is. And man, when God gets rid of the sin, he gets rid of the disease, he gets rid of the sickness, and he heals you. Thank God for that. Now, there are ultimately the working of miracles that add on to that, but that, that is just truth. But there is a distinction, scripturally, between salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Healing and salvation are a joint package, but, but salvation and the Holy Spirit baptism are not. John chapter 4, when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, he spoke and said, Look, if you drink from the water that I give you, you will never drink again. It will be like a well within you springing up to eternal or everlasting life. What is this talking about? This is talking about, and I brought some, some visuals for you. Salvation is like a well that the Holy Spirit does. It takes the Holy Spirit to get you saved. Did you know this? The only way you're going to get saved is by the Spirit working within you to make you new again. Jesus told Nicodemus the only way is to be born again by the Spirit. Nicodemus was like, born again? I got to crawl back in my mom? No, bro. You're born by the Spirit. Now, when the Spirit gets on the inside of a person, they, it fills the person up in a renewing phase. That's a well springing up. That's salvation springing up within you. You become a creation that is brand new, filled or brimming to the top with the working of the Holy Spirit that's constantly renewing your mind. Constantly working within your flesh, constantly working within your soul, constantly doing a continuous renewal to make you more like Christ Jesus. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God that when we get saved, we get a partner that works within us to spring up the life of Christ on the inside. That's salvation. It's a well springing up on the inside. When Jesus came back from the grave, he went and met his disciples 
and in the Gospel of John, it says, He breathed upon them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Why would He say this and then later say, But now go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, unless that was two separate things. So what was Christ saying when he said, receive the Holy Spirit? Now he had finally sacrificed himself, risen from the grave, and salvation was available. Now these people that followed him with all their heart in their flesh could have a supernatural transforming moment where they became brand new creations by the Holy Ghost on the inside. Whoa! That's why Thomas stopped doubting. That's why Peter got bolder. That's why something happened in these fishermen that changed their world. It happens in everybody that really gets born again. Only people that get born again get this. Because there's a lot of people that pray a prayer and then you remain the same. Because you didn't mean it. But for those of us that came to the end of our life, like I did, where you were like, God, I need you, I want you, I give you my life, I'm holding nothing back, every ounce, every tomorrow, every hour, every minute, Take it all. Then the Holy Ghost hits you and you're like, I'm not the same. Ah! And people say that's, that, that's, that's the entire work of the Holy Spirit. No. Because Jesus said receive him. Then he said go and wait until you get it. And in John 4 he said it's a well. But in John 7 he said it's rivers. Rivers. You got to say that. Like a Holy Ghost preacher, you know what I'm saying? Half cracking your voice on purpose. Rivers! It's rivers. And he said, it actually says in the Gospel of John, that he spake this concerning the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given because Christ had yet to be glorified. Because Jesus hadn't went all the way to, the, to heaven, poured out the blood upon the mercy seat to ultimately redeem a man and woman so they become temples of the Holy Spirit. So we understand scripturally, salvation and the baptism are two separate moments. Now, it doesn't mean that you got to wait six hours between them. It doesn't mean you got to wait 30 seconds between them. But it does mean that they're separate. You want more proof? Acts chapter, what is it, 9? When Paul is on the way to Damascus, scripture says that Jesus basically showed up, doesn't and he recognized who he was, and he said, Lord, who are you? What do you want me to do? He fell to his knees, he worshipped the Lord, and he was born again. How do you know he's born again? Because up until now, Peter was not a believer. He was anti-church. He called them the people of the way with orders to kill those that were in the way. On a mission to destroy the church. But when God spoke supernaturally to Ananias, a disciple said, Go and find Paul, who's waiting. I have told him that you will lay your hands upon him. He will receive his sight and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ananias goes to Peter or Paul and he calls him the words, Brother, brother, the same Jesus that appeared to you appeared to me and told me to come and lay my hands upon you that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is in the book of Acts. So Ananias is recognizing you're not the same Saul you once were. Now you're Paul, a newborn believer, and I call you brother. But there's more. Look at your neighbor and say, but there's more. God is like the ultimate late night shopping channel. But there's more. And the more is this. So this is the Holy Spirit working in me. The rebirth experience where it's springing up. It's springing up. The Bible talks about in, in John, Jesus said, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That infilling that comes to work within a person. But then later he spoke in Acts that you will be endued with power. And that is when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now... It's not just working in me, it's working all around me. That's when Jesus said the kingdom of God, you don't have to go here to get it. It's in you, it's throughout you, and about you, he said. That's the baptism. Now, I've got the Holy Spirit renewing me on the inside, and I've got the Holy Spirit overtaking me on the outside. 
That's how you walk by the Spirit. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. People say you don't need it. I need it every day. I want it every day. Someone says, is there more than one encounter with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes. Acts chapter 2, we read it. First time the Holy Spirit ever poured out, no one laid hands on him. Just the Holy Spirit himself came and just bombarded the room, turned the place upside down. Some people say only 12 got baptized that day. I don't know where they even read this stuff. It didn't say there was 120 gathered and 12 were in one accord and the rest, don't do math publicly, were not in one accord. 120 people were unified in what they were pursuing. They were absolutely locked in and knew what they were waiting for. And it is very clear in Scripture that when the Holy Spirit fell, no one remained in the room still waiting because everybody knew they got what they needed. It was obvious, I've got it. 120 people got it. And what does the Bible say? That they all spoke with a new tongue. And they all glorified God. And there were cloven tongues of fire that came upon each of them. Read the book of Acts to follow the moving of the Spirit. Because it's the Acts of the Apostles, but really it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And the Acts is the only, the only book in the New Testament that doesn't end with a closing statement. Because it never ended. It's not ended. We are still in the book of Acts today. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. Now, I'm teaching this as best as I can, and I get very excited. I apologize. I'm an excited teacher. And I, I haven't even had caffeine today. This is not a fake excitement. This is just, you just you start talking about the Holy Ghost, and you're like, <laughs> feel like running through chairs or something, you know, leaping walls. Now, back to the Holy Spirit baptism. When the Holy Spirit fell, they desired it. They were seeking it. Do you agree with that? When Jesus said, go and tarry in Jerusalem, and he said later, he said, look, if you search for me, if you seek, you will find. If you ask, you will receive. And if you knock, that door will be opened unto you. But it's interesting because he didn't just stop when people, a lot of people use that for every type of prayer that you could ever pray. But it actually says, let me find it, Luke 11 verse 9, you can turn in your Bibles there. We're talking about receiving the Holy Spirit today. The precious, mighty third person of the Godhead that changes your world, changes your life, changes everything about you. Now it says in 11, Luke 11, verse 9, as you're turning there, Gospel of Luke, he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. We understand that. Seek and you will find. Praise the Lord. You've got to seek the things of God out. Even concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. And he closes that by saying, Covetly, or covet earnestly the best gifts. In other words, you've got to incline your heart. Attach your mind and your desire to be used in the gifts or you're not really going to be used in the gifts. Because you close yourself off. So it's dealing with your desires. Are you with me right now? God will give you the desires of your heart. If you don't desire for any of this, then you don't get it. But if you desire it, why wouldn't you desire it? He says, ask and you will receive. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son... Ask for bread. Now, I want to lay some things out for you right now. He uses the term son, right? If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give... The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. I'm going to tear down another stronghold right now. Because what people attack the Pentecostal charismatic movement with is that we do it by demonic power. They said it about Jesus, so of course they're going to say it about us. It's demonic tongues is of the devil. Falling down is a demonic trance. People have taught this for many years. And one of the things that people have a hindrance of receiving the Holy Spirit is they don't want anything 
It's pure. You don't want an evil spirit. Now, this is what Jesus is actually confronting right here. Because we already read in Mark chapter 16 that the, these signs will follow believers. That you'll pick up serpents. What is he really talking about? It's not just serpents. That if you backtrack to just the previous chapter of Luke, we understand the context is, is that behold, I give you power and authority to tread on scorpions and serpents. Now, what is he talking about? He is talking about evil spirits. Are you with me right now? The works of the devil. So when Jesus says this, for anybody that's like, man, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but how can I know that it's something from God and not something from the devil? Because it's impossible to come to God and God being a holy father give you something that is evil. That's what he's saying. If a father on earth and the son asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a serpent or a wicked evil thing. If he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion. He's not going to give him demonic, wicked things. So if a man on earth can give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you the Holy Spirit when you ask of him? Are you with me? Is this making sense right now? So we're combating strongholds being taught. Where people they get in their mind, is it the Lord? Is it pushing too far? Is that the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost comes from God. And if you go to God, you will only get the Holy Spirit. You will not get another spirit of any kind whatsoever. And if any spirit was in you, it would be driven out by the Holy Ghost. And you would be set free and filled at the same time. It's the goodness of God. See, we're in that stage, Easter to, to Pentecost. wasn't just let me prove that I rose from the dead. It was, let me give instruction to the church to empower you for thousands of years. Concerning the work of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Do you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? No. The thief on the cross went to heaven. The thief on the cross made it into paradise. But if you desire, and it's a heavenly desire, to be used for the glory of God, when you came to God and you said, Lord, I give you my life, did you give him your life? Because when you give him your life, what you're saying is, God, I want you to take this life and I want you to do something with it. Especially those that lived like me that you knew you did wicked things. I drug people into captivity. I drug people into addictions. I drug them into perversion. And to think of your life, and then you come to God, and you're like, God, I know that I was used by the enemy. And I didn't want to be used by the enemy, but he used me because I was ignorant, and I was yielded to the spirit of this world. But now I give you my life, and I'm asking, can you take this life and use it for your glory? And if so, how do you do that? By the infilling of the Holy Spirit. All throughout Scripture, you see the evidence of the Spirit of God working with men. You see the promise of Christ coming onto the scene. Why does Hebrews 11 say that we have a better covenant with better promises? How could we ever be told that we have something better than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Than these people that did exploits in God's name. How? Because Christ was speaking concerning, or Paul through the, the revelation, of the working of salvation, redemption, to spirit baptism. That they never had that. They had the spirit working among them. But you have the spirit overtaking you. Springing up. And influ influencing your life in all ways. Acts chapter 4. After Acts 2 when they were baptized. We read again in Acts chapter 4. That they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this is not baptism. But they were filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the same people baptized by the Holy Ghost, but now they're being filled by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because persecution arose. Why is it that we gather together and have revival services? Why is it that iron's got to sharpen iron? Why is it that you need fresh touches by the Holy Ghost? Because you live as a Christian in a fallen world. And if you stand for God, you will be persecuted. Especially if you stand for anything concerning the Holy Spirit. The moment you stand for the Holy Spirit, some of your greatest persecutors will be the people that should be on your side. And that's what Acts 4 shows us. They were persecuted, they were threatened, but they gathered together and said, Father, one more time, 
pour out your spirit upon us. Stretch forth your hand and do mighty signs and wonders. And the Bible says the place was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And what was the fruit? A greater boldness came upon them. So they were able to keep doing the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, the next time you see someone filled with the Holy Ghost, it says that this is when Philip went to the city of Samaria and preached Jesus to the city and did many signs and wonders in their midst and a great joy erupted in the city. So then the apostles came, Peter and John, to lay hands on the believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now this backs up salvation and Holy Spirit once again, two separate entities. Or two separate experiences. Because the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that they heard the word of the Lord. They believed the word of the Lord. So they were saved by the word of the Lord. But then the apostles came and taught them concerning receiving the Holy Spirit. Then laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Now... Obviously, something supernatural and evident physically took place because Simon the sorcerer being in the room or around them at this time offered money to purchase this power for himself. Are you following with me or am I giving you way too much details? I mean, people are starting to look glassy-eyed like one man's toupee is flopped off in the back. Ah! Are you, are you following me? I know I talk fast, but I have a lot to talk about. And I'm looking at the time because I said 1230. We know something happened. Because he said, I want to buy this power. What happened? Well, Paul, or Peter, said to him, you know, your money perish with you. Let me find it exactly what he says. In, in Acts chapter 8, verse 21. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Shout matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now if you look up that word matter, you have no part in this matter. You look up that word matter, it's not what you would think it is. In the Greek it's actually lego, which is related to logos, which is an utterance. What Peter said was you have no part in this utterance or this vocal declaration because your heart's not right. Well, then what did he say that concerning? Then these people were filled with the Holy Ghost, and there was a vocal declaration that came from their mouths. Every time you see the Holy Ghost poured out, you see people speaking like Jesus said concerning every believer, these signs will follow them that you will speak in new tongues. It's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, when they laid hands upon them, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they obviously began to speak something because Simon wanted to purchase it. But Peter said, you can't have this utterance because your heart's not right. Acts chapter 9. This is Paul, baptized by the Holy Ghost by Ananias. He had a supernatural encounter with Jesus. He got saved. He waited three days. Though he could not see in the natural, he saw in the spirit. Because he later wrote and spoke about the vision he had going to heaven. And saying, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision, awaiting Ananias to come, that God had instructed to Paul, he will come, and told Ananias, you will go to Paul. It was an understanding, even though they didn't know each other, and way before cell phones took place, or any live stream took place, where Paul even knew who this guy was. Paul knew, I'm waiting on a man named Ananias, God has shown me in a vision, he's going to lay my hands on him, and Ananias knew he's going to find Paul, a brother in the Lord that's been saved, to lay his hands on him. To receive his sight and to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now we know, by the Bible says, that he laid hands on him and instantly, immediately, scales fell from Paul's eyes. So he saw immediately, and the Bible says, then Paul stood up and was baptized. Shout baptized. Hallelujah. For those of you that say there's only one baptism according to Ephesians, there is only one baptism. That baptism is a baptism concerning salvation. There's only one baptism by which man can be saved. That is being baptized through repentance into Christ Jesus that you might be a brand new salvation or, or creation. But Hebrews chapter 6 tells us concerning the fundamental doctrines of the church that it says now baptisms plural. There are multiple baptisms in the scripture. That's where a lot of people, they don't read the entirety of the Bible. If you read the entirety of the Bible, you get the full picture and you understand the work of God moving through mankind. 
He was baptized. Does it say he spoke with tongues? It does not. But Paul later wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So obviously, he got filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in a new tongue. Are you with me? Is this helping anybody right now? So we're following the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Where some of the things that we take for granted need to be taught once more because people build up resistances to it, don't understand what God's actually doing. It's never been about just speaking in tongues. That's just a portion of the Holy Ghost working within you. But it's the proof. Acts chapter 10. The next time someone's baptized in the book of Acts. There are five instances in the, in the book of Acts where people are baptized with the Holy Ghost and two other instances where they were filled to, fresh, to get them fresh. Acts 10, once again, supernaturally, Peter has a vision. There's a man coming, and he's going to visit you to tell you to go visit Cornelius' house. God gave him a vision to break his whole structure of what God can and can't do. God can't baptize the Gentiles. They're unclean. I won't eat that thing that's unclean. And God kept saying, you will eat it. You will eat that pill I tell you to eat, bro. So he knows. Cornelius had an angel visit him in a vision and said, you're going to send a man to Peter who's praying on a rooftop. He's going to come and bring the word of God to your household. Supernatural. Peter goes, and as he preaches, the Bible says, Acts chapter 10, while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of them. No hands were even laid on them. Are you with me right now? So in other words, if your heart gets inclined towards God and you get hungry for the Lord, you don't need an apostle. You don't need somebody with a, a doctorate degree to get you filled with the Holy Ghost. Because John or Luke 3.16 tells us that it's Jesus who is the baptizer and the Holy Ghost in fire. It's the same Jesus you went to for salvation is the same one waiting with another dose of the Holy Ghost. Hey, it's the two punch of the heaven. One on the inside, one on the outside, now you're brand new. They were filled. And the Bible says they spoke with tongues and they began to glorify God. Peter said it's exactly like it was on the day of Pentecost. So these people must have had cloven tongues of fire. These people, Cornelius' house was like that church every, every, every spirit-filled preacher wants to preach in. You just mention the Holy Ghost and the place goes, ah! Acts 10, hands weren't even laid upon him. Now, what am I showing you here? Ananias, if you read Ananias who laid hands on Paul, Ananias was not a man with a title. He didn't have a title. His only title was a disciple, a follower. These signs will follow those who believe. He is a follower. Everybody in here, you can go to your house and lead a Bible study and pray for your neighbors and they can be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's not that I need to be a pastor to walk in this supernatural gifting. No, if you're a disciple, a follower of Christ Jesus, these signs will follow your life. Now, what, what's the key? Is you can't be ashamed. You can't be ashamed. Peter talked about what happened. The Holy Ghost fell. Acts chapter 8, he came, they came and they taught them concerning the Holy Spirit and prayed that they might receive it, and they all received the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And so then the last bit, Acts 13, they were persecuted again. They were driven out of cities. They shook the dust off their feet, prayed one more time, God fill us. The Holy Spirit filled them all. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and with great joy. After being cast out of a city, told you're a lunatic, a wacko job, everything that every blood-bought, spirit-filled Christian still endures today in America on a regular, you go back to the Holy Ghost, He fills you afresh, your joy bubbles up, and you shake the dust off your feet and you keep moving. Because at least you're moving in the truth and not in a lie. Hey, I'll take the truth any day over a lie. You can write it down. Put it on our tombstone. They believed God and had what God said they would have. They were laughed to scorn just like Jesus was laughed to scorn. But when it came down to it, no one could pray heaven in the room like a Holy Ghost believer. Ha! Acts chapter 19. I'm closing and I'm wrapping it up and I got one minute. Ha! I could run around this place. Acts chapter 19, the final 
scripture in the Bible concerning the baptism of the Holy Ghost that when Paul went to Ephesus, there was 12 believers. They were baptized into John's baptism, which was before Christ's baptism. That is just pure repentance with a watery baptism. Now, when they were baptized, Paul came to Ephesus and said, Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, We have not so much as even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. In other words, they're like, You mean there's more? I remember when a guy that got out of prison came and persecuted me. He was fresh out of prison, a friend of mine, to show you the type of people I used to hang out with. And he started mocking me for being spirit-filled and speaking in tongues. And I didn't even know anything about spirit-filled or speaking in tongues. And as he mocked me for it, all he did was awaken to me the fact that, you mean there's more? <laughs> if he had never mocked me, I don't know that I would have ever got it. Because I didn't know I needed to get it. What you don't know, you don't know. What does Romans 10 say? How will they know except there be a preacher? What did Paul do? He came and he said, You've not, they, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Scripture says, well, then he had them receive Christ, basically. Got them saved. Got them born again. Then laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They were all baptized with the Holy Ghost. And they all began to speak with new tongues and prophesy, the Bible says. My brother, and I don't want you to be ignorant concerning these spiritual gifts. Too many people are ignorant concerning the word of God, the instruction of Jesus, and the power released on the day of Pentecost for every born-again believer that would be willing to receive it. I took time today to teach you because I want to tear down any stronghold. Any stronghold you've ever heard that teaches you the Holy Spirit is not of God is a lie. And the devil does his best to sow lies to keep you from the freedom that God wants to give you. And any person in here, young, old, male, female, anything that you are, if you desire the Holy Spirit, it is available to you today. You don't even need me to lay hands on you. You can just receive the Holy Spirit by just lifting your hands and saying, Holy Ghost, I want the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he will come upon you. The day I got baptized with the Holy Ghost, it was in the middle of worship. The whole church was singing. No one was looking at me. And I felt that. I was like, God, if this is real, if you're a baptizer in the Holy Ghost, if you give the gift of praying in, the, in tongues, if you empower a believer, then I want it. And I remember I lifted my hands in worship, and it felt like I plugged myself into 220. I was like, ah. It's like, finally, I get why we lift our hands. Amen. It's like plugged right into the socket of glory. That's why we do it, not because it feels good, not because it looks cool, it looks weird. And if you see me worshiping, a lot of times I actually lift my hands like this. Because in my mind I'm thinking I'm plugging into the socket of the Holy Ghost. Right here. I don't care what anybody thinks about me, because you can't give me what he gives me. You'll never satisfy like he satisfies. He is the ultimate satisfier. He is the great comforter. He is the great glorious Holy Spirit that comes to empower a believer to tread on scorpions and serpents and tell the devil, get out of my life. Get out of my nation. Get out of my family. Get out of this place. Because we are the blood-bought, spirit-filled church of Christ. We are still the restraining force on planet earth today. And everywhere the Holy Ghost is allowed to move, the devil has to leave the premises. Everywhere. Because darkness does not comprehend light. Doesn't know how to understand. Doesn't know how to stop it. It's not about being weird. People say then the Holy Spirit's just for those people that want to be weird in the church. No. You're all weird anyways. Even the sophisticated people are weird, especially to me, who's not sophisticated. I look at sophisticated people and I think that's weird. Why would you want to be that serious all the time and why would you ever go out with that haircut? That haircut fell out of fashion back in 1927, I'm just saying. 
the Holy Ghost. If I get someone playing on the keys, I got to do a few things. Can I take just a few more moments? And they're, they're just gourmet burgers today, guys. Grilled pineapple, grilled onion. I don't know if we got the fried egg. Did we push it through? We pushed through the fried eggs. You're going to have the bougiest, best burger of your life. Did we get the pretzel buns? Tell me we got pretzel buns. Oh, Jesus, we didn't get the pretzel buns. That's it. I don't even feel the energy to pray for people now. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> Built you all up like you were going to get something big today. Nope, you're just going to have a, you're just having a little Jiffy Burger. Now, is it about praying, praying in tongues? That's a gift. You've been given that gift. Do not allow a mainstream church or pressure of this world for you to, to take that persecution to your heart and give up on the gift that God has given you. Do not be ashamed of what God has given you. But also, don't mock those that don't have it. Because there's people that can pray in tongues, but they don't necessarily even walk the walk. Work on you. The Holy Spirit was given to you so that you could pray the perfect will of God over your life. Stirring yourself up. I'm going to carry this on next week too. The kingdom of God made manifest. It's a lot I, I wanted to get off my chest today. But it's not just about even the gifts of the Spirit. Thank God for the gifts of the Spirit. Don't be ignorant concerning the gifts of the Spirit. Study. Show yourself approved. Understand the working. And ultimately the degree of which God uses you in the supernatural is based entirely upon the degree of which you pursue that. In other words, the more you educate yourself, make yourself aware, open yourself up. If they can't receive the Holy Ghost until they hear about the Holy Ghost, then you can't flow in the gifts until you really brought, study how to flow. How do I flow in these gifts? And I'm going to spend the next few weeks doing that. But I'm going to tell you this. The first thing the Holy Spirit gives you was when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost, you get a hunger and an honor for the Word of God. It is not just poetic words to you. You read it and it's life to you. And you read it and you're like, this is, this is what I trust in. I don't trust in the arm of the flesh. I don't trust in men. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, but I will trust in the name of my God. It's in the Word. When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God's working within you, there comes a reverence in your life and, and, and an alignment within you towards the Word of God. Because the Word and the Spirit, Jesus and the Spirit, walk total partnership hand in hand. And that's why God, Jesus, had the Spirit without measure was because He was the Word made flesh and the Spirit always backs the Word. So you say, I want to be used in the supernatural. Then you start getting the Word. You just quote the word and the power of God can fall. All Peter was doing was saying what happened on the day of Pentecost, relating who Christ Jesus was and the power of God fell and the Holy Spirit blitzed the place. There's a love for God's word. Why do we need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost? Because when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit and you open the word, the author of the word is there with you. And when you ask and when you say, I can't tell you how many times I face things. And I say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? And I'll feel the nudge. Caleb, open to John chapter 2. I want to show you something. And I'll open it, and it's boom, right there. It's a living word. How can this thing be written thousands of years ago and just straight nail everything I'm facing right now? Because it's the living word of God. And then when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, there's a generosity that comes on the inside of you. The church is or should be the most generous force on planet earth because it's the nature of God that gets in you. And God says, if you ask of me, what does he say? I will give sparingly. I will give a little bit. I might possibly give to you. He says, if you ask from me, I will give you liberally and upbraideth not. Pour out. Hold nothing back. That's the generosity. The nature of God gets in you. Generosity gets in you.
The love of money is not something you deal with anymore. You could care less. The love you have is for the kingdom of God and for God's people. And then that's the only reason we stand on the biblical principle for increase is because our hearts are inflamed to do more for others. I want to I want to get behind that God. I want to send that person there. I want to do all these things for you, God. Please, the blessing overtake me because, Lord, you know I'm like a conduit. You can pour it through and I'll pour it right back out. Because you're not living for this world anyways. Come on. The fruit of the Spirit is there's a generosity. There's generosity in the world and there's godly generosity. Scripture shows the difference. Godly generosity is where you actually use faith and give beyond your means. That's what the Macedonians did to Paul. He says, I had to restrain them because they gave beyond their ability to give when he wrote to the Corinthians. They were just giving. That's a faith gift where it's like, I can't even afford this, but I'm going to do it and I'm stepping out. And every time you do, I'm not saying this, we're not taking an offering so you, you can stop holding your breath. Every time you do and you yield to that godly generosity, you will never regret it. And whether you have some miraculous breakthrough or not, but it is impossible ultimately to give more than God gives to you. It's a heart condition. When the heart is right, God deals with it. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to get this one right here because I think this is something I've taught for years. The Bible says that Jesus sent his disciples out, and I know I'm trying to wrap it up. I know you're hungry, but we're feeding everybody. It says that he sent them out, and they actually had power over unclean spirits and power to heal the sick before they were ever baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were moving in power because the kingdom of God, if you're moving in, in obedience to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God overtakes the kingdom of this world. That's scriptural. So if you move, if God gives you a word, let's say God gives you a word, I want you to go to this place, and I want you to establish something. It doesn't, you are moving in direct obedience to the desire or the plan of the kingdom of God. And if you obey, those that are willing and obedient, they will eat the good of the land. You will have the fruit of what God says you will have. So when Christ said, go, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils in my name, they did that, and they had what he said they would have. But he still said to him, but I want you to go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. I believe the power is not just the gifts of the Spirit, which are powerful weapons given to the church. But it is the nature of the Holy Spirit that gets in you, where you confront sin and you actually hate sin. You don't, you don't live trying to excuse sin. You live with a desire on the inside, get sin out of my life. I don't want to think that I take authority over that thought. I'm not, I'm a blood, blood. I mean, it's like a, you deal with it. You don't need a counselor to deal with it. You're not trying to read the word to excuse or push boundaries. There's like a holy surge forward to say, how can I dominate sin? I will not yield to sin. I hate sin. I hate the works of the devil. There's that, that spirit of God that comes to empower you over sin that you crush it out of your life. And that's the place, that's why I talk about the people that you got demons every six months. I'm telling you why you got them. Because you keep on sinning. And God can break that power of sin off of your life. And the Holy Spirit comes to empower you to give you the desire. And I hope this isn't offending people, but it is what it is. To live a holy life. He's the Holy Spirit. God's fruit is not, I want to excuse your sin over and over again. Yes, he will forgive you as you repent. But he says, I want to actually give you power to live holy in a fallen world. To shine as light in a dark place. The fruit of the Spirit, baptism, is that that gets on the inside of you. Because now you're hidden in the kingdom of God. He's working in you. He's around you. And it's like a bubble. Now to get to me, you've got to get through Christ. And Christ is not letting that junk in. So I am not letting that junk in into my life. I don't want it. Get out in Jesus' name. And the fruit of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I'm closing here. Two more. Everybody say souls. Is evangelism. You get full of the Holy Spirit, you tell people about God. 
You don't plan it. You don't have a script. You don't even know what you're doing. You like fumble your way through it. And it's like the most brutal. If anybody recorded you, you'd be like, man, stick, don't quit your day job. But it's an overflow. Somehow or another, everything relates to what God's done in your life. No, man, I tell you. It's like even in a restaurant. You want, you want the wine menu? No, no. I don't drink. Let me tell you why. I used to drink, and I used to drink a lot. But now I don't even want to touch the stuff, and I don't have any desire because I have a new wine on the inside of me. The Holy Ghost changed my life. He'll change anybody's life. You have an, you, there's a, the good news bubbles from a person full of the Holy Ghost. You want to share Christ. And from sharing Christ, fruit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is joy and happiness in your life. A person full of the Holy Ghost is a joyful person or should be a joyful person. Happiness. And if you're not joyful, then know that that is something the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life. And ultimately closing is physical healing too. As the Holy Spirit renews your mind, renews the th thoughts of your life, removes, re renews the stuff you've gone through, there's a physical healing that is over the process of time. As the renewal of the man, so is there's a physical healing that takes place. God literally restores people's youth back. God can take a person and by the Holy Spirit working on them daily. It's not hands laid on them. It's not prophetic words. It's just the renewing of the Holy Spirit that God actually ages them backwards. And that's a good deal. Amen. I'm opening up a clinic next week. Fountain of Youth has been found in Florida once more. It's called the Holy Ghost. Bow your heads. Close your eyes today. We're going to release you for just a moment. I want you to search your heart right now. I want to ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you were to die today that heaven would be your next home? Pastor Caleb, I hear you talk so 